Hello and welcome to a new Nudia on Your Mind podcast, this time about oil. We have just released a new Nudia on Your Mind report uh, titled Oil, Black Gold or Black Hole, according to our usual sense of drama. We have actually written about oil in Nudia on Your Mind once before. Uh, and that was four years ago, uh, very, very early, after we introduced the Nudia on Your Mind report. Now, Victor and Shirin and I have written about the topic again, and it felt quite natural to do so, as the oil industry has been completely turned upside down in what can be uh, described as an extremely eventful year, 2020, by first uh, a, a brief oil price war, uh, followed by the global COVID-19 pandemic, killing off oil demand. And all of this against the backdrop of the long trend we have seen for years now, not least really speeding up after the Paris Agreement of the end of 2015 to cap global warming, uh, where sustainability has become a huge issue facing the fossil fuels industry and, and specifically oil. So lots going on, uh, extremely interesting for us to explore. Uh, and, and given that it's a pretty big topic, I, I think we almost more or less need to, to start with the basics. Uh, I think, Shirin, if, if, if you want to just lay the groundwork a little bit for us in how does the oil industry work? What does it look like? Who are the big players? So even though oil has been around for a long time, it was first discovered 4,000 years ago. And um, due to lacking extraction techniques, it had very few applications of use. And as innovations has passed, we have a broader use of the oil. Today, we use oil to fuel vehicles and aircrafts. And what's so special with oil is that it's a finite resource. And when it's gone, it will never come back. And Johan, in order to answer the oil dynamics, I would like to go into who consumes it, produces it, and where it's lying around, basically. So, the main consumers are the US, China and India, and it's not that surprising since they are, they are countries with very high GDP. And the producers, or the main, and the main producers are the US, Saudi Arabia and Russia. And lastly, we have the oil reserves that are mainly found in Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, Canada, Iran, Iraq and Russia. And what these countries have in common? if you set Canada aside, of course, it is that they are very, very undemocratic, but are also members of the oil cartel OPEC. And this is an organization that has have had a lot of power during the last years, but we have started to see a shift from having oil producers being either OPEC countries or non-OPEC countries are seeing that Russia, the US and Saudi Arabia basically steer the oil market with their oil supply in order to fulfill their geopolitical agendas instead of responding to actual demand. And when speaking about demand, Victor, can you tell us more about how the world is looking right now? 
It is a very interesting picture that you're painting there, uh, Sheeran, and, and I guess one of the, the kind of key things being right now, uh, at least in the last uh, maybe decade or so, uh, is this this power balance where uh, oil as a commodity, uh, of course, is governed somewhat by the demand and supply, uh, but on the supply side there is uh, uh, there are a lot of factors which which usually are quite hard to take into account and typically also has a lot of impact on on what happens in the oil oil, oil market. Um, so just as a brief kind of explanation of what has been going on uh, in the oil market uh, for the past uh, six months or so, uh, and what do we think will happen going forward. Um, we can start off by trying to explain the, the mechanics of, of uh, what is there that has been been pushing the oil price down, uh, and from that, what can we expect going forward? Um, so right away, um, speaking of the, uh, the lovely Russians and Saudi Arabians and uh, uh, Trump in the White House, uh, when it comes to to the oil price in the beginning of March, uh, we had a price war which which started uh, creating an imbalance in the oil price. Uh, and then, as everyone knows and is uh, most likely personally familiar with, uh, we've had the the huge shock in the oil market due to the COVID nineteen pandemics. Because, uh, as you described, this year in with uh, with uh, the majority of oil um, being or the majority of oil demand being found in the transport sector, so people driving cars or or uh, uh, the, the freight industry, so trucks uh, moving goods, uh, for example. That is that is uh, around sixty percent of oil demand, and if all of that suddenly stops and all, all of that suddenly more or less stands still, with people not being able to commute to work and and people consuming less, um, then of course that's going to be a major hit uh, to the oil market. And I guess that is what did happen, right? More or less from one day to the next in many places around the world, we people were unable to move around as we wanted. Exactly, and what is interesting there is that if if you compare it to, for example, the 2014-2015 oil price shock, uh, which was in essence a supply uh, supply shock where U.S. shale uh, created an oversupply which forced the prices down, uh, and if you also compare it to the uh, um, the financial crisis where you have a demand side shock where consumers consume less, people commute to work less as a result of higher unemployment. Then it it's really a mix of both. You you go into it with this uh, this uh, price war, and then you're hit with the demand shock. But compared to to the financial crisis, for example, where where you see this this spiral of lower oil demand, where uh, higher unemployment leads to less spending, leads to less uh, business activity, leads to less uh, uh, or higher unemployment, which leads to less spending. This happened overnight. So from from business as usual to a severe drawdown in in oil. So again, a very eventful year, 2020, for the oil industry and and for the world, absolutely. Um, But then there is a future as well, right? I mean, this this year shall pass. (laughs) Half of it is left. And and then the big question, of course, not least for the oil industry, is what's going to happen in the future then? Um, and, and, and we've tried to look at it in the report and in the analysis that we've done. Uh, we've done a lot of work, uh, uh, and, and both of you, Victor and Shirin, have done a lot of work on also trying to model what might happen next. And, and, and we have this concept known as peak oil. 
And peak oil, if we look at last decade, that whole discourse among academics and business leaders and people from the oil industry was about when is oil going to run out? When will there be no more oil to extract and, and, and produce? And as you mentioned, Shirin, no new oil is being created. It, it's all from 65 million years ago and, and, and longer ago. But that's shifted. And, and what we see lying ahead uh, is really peak oil happening and sooner than many might think, but being driven by demand, by demand reaching the top point and thereafter starting to decline. Uh, and, and, and we've tried to model this and we actually see peak oil happening very soon, irrespective of which specific scenario we look at. Because we looked at several scenarios, right, Chirin? Yeah, that's true. We had, um, or we had three scenarios with uh, different type of uh, growth rates in renewables, and uh, the one we refer to our base case is um, a scenario that we believe is can be reasonable to happen. Our assumptions in our base case is basically that if renewables grow with an annual growth rate with 12% or it gradually um, peaks up to 12% and then flattens down uh, over the years. After 2015, we believe that we can be reaching peak, peak oil in just four years. And that is alarming in one way for the oil industry, of course, but maybe better for the rest of the world in terms of reaching Paris agreements. Right. And if you look at the different scenarios, we're looking at a time range in this analysis between 2023 and 2026. So we're not talking 10 years away. We're not talking 20 years away. We're talking in the next few years that this is actually going to happen, after which demand for oil will will start declining. And, 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 and it may sound drastic, but it's actually not as shocking as you might believe. Uh, the energy consultants, Rystad Energy, uh, are, are, are saying that it could even be the case that because of the demand decline from COVID-19, peak oil was last year and that it's never been any higher than it was in 2019. Uh, Shell's CEO said in an interview in the Financial Times just a few weeks ago that they could not rule out that we have peak oil right now. So, so nobody knows for sure, but it's not going to be from what we can see today that far away. And, and what's important to highlight is that the drivers for this are related to demand and it's got to do with, on the one hand, consumer behavior and potential regulations, rules, legislation, making countries try to deliver on the targets set in the Paris Agreement from the end of 2015 to limit global warming, uh, limit the global temperature increase to no more than maximum two and ideally one and a half degrees higher than pre-industrialization times. And by technological development within renewables, meaning that they become more competitive compared with burning fossil fuels. And, and, and there might be a bit of a misconception, Victor, because, I mean, renewables looking last year was only 7% of global energy output. And, and, and then a question you can ask is, why no more and how can it then become big in the future? Exactly. Uh, and I think you're making a fantastic point there with uh, with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and the, the demand drawdowns being being uh, a real question mark when it comes to when is uh, peak demand in oil. 
Um, and why I mentioned this, and, and I, I, will, I will get to your, your question regarding renewables, is because it's, it, it all comes down to growth rates, right? And if we look at the historical growth rate of oil, then it doesn't really grow that fast. But what it does do is that it grows quite steady. So what has happened now in the curve with the, the COVID-19 pandemic is a severe drawdown in oil demand. In our modeling, looking at, at traffic data, for example, um, we see a demand loss of around 9% uh, compared to pre-pandemic uh, pre levels over 2020 and 2021. And what happens here in, in this, this, uh, with this slow kind of natural growth rate, then if uh, the peak demand in oil is to come in the future, then that kind of also assumes that we get back to a level that is more or less normal. So that kind of assumes that we get back to people having the same kind of travel behavior um, as they as they had before. And with this kind of talk and, and, and thinking about these growth rates, if we also dig deeper into renewable, so not only can you can you question will we ever get back to the exact same the exact same behavior as we did before in terms of commuting, in terms of traveling. Um, but you can also look at the headwinds uh, that the oil oil market is facing from renewables. And as you mentioned, that you know renewable growth, if you look at it as a group, it hasn't been that impressive over the last few years. Um, but the reason is that for that is, is it's simply mathematics. It's because um, the largest share of renewable energy, if, if you just bunch them together, that has been hydropower, typically. And hydropower doesn't really grow that much. So that means that renewable energy as a whole doesn't grow that much. But if you split it up and look at wind power, you look at solar power uh, separate from, from, uh, from uh, the total group of renewables, so separate from, from wind power or hydropower, then what you see is that as these renewable energy types grow, then the growth rate for the entire renewables will increase rapidly. And this is also then the, the basis of our modeling for what may happen in the future. Because simply from the fact that wind and solar are growing so fast, the growth rate for renewables um, is set to approach uh, some 20% per year or something uh, in, in just uh, less than 10 years. And to try and, and, and wrap it up by just illustrating the implications for the oil industry under the three scenarios that we have modeled, if you're an oil company and, and you make a living from producing and selling oil, the best case scenario, which is not consistent with the world delivering on the Paris Agreement targets, would be a pretty flat demand for the next 30 years. Whereas the base case scenario that you described, Shirin, would mean that in 2050, there is 25% less oil demand than today. And the worst case scenario, the ugly scenario from an oil company's point of view, would be that in 2050 you have 60% lower demand than today. And then to try and conclude, what does this mean from a corporate perspective? What if you're a player in the oil industry? What should you do when this is the kind of outlook that you face? High volatility likely to stay in place from oil being used as a geopolitical weapon. A historically unprecedented demand shock from the COVID-19 pandemic that needs to be coped with and could lead to permanent behavioral change, less travel, 
and the whole sustainability issue, meaning that there is an extremely strong pressure, which we also think is likely to stay in place and maybe even accelerate for trying to reduce CO2 emissions, which are inevitable if you burn oil. And, 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 and if you're an oil company, there are three things that you need to consider, we think. First, you need to have a strategy for what are you going to look like post-peak oil. And you can either prefer to run the business for cash, since oil is going to be around uh, for many years before it can be completely phased out, although with less demand year by year. Or you might want to migrate into something else to, to, to develop renewable energy sources or become something different altogether. But you need to think through what's your strategy for what your business should be like post-peak uh, oil. Secondly, uh, you need to be a sustainable producer. Even if burning the oil that you sell or the oil products that you sell to your customers will inevitably generate CO2 emissions, you don't necessarily need to generate them on a net basis in your own business. So if you can eliminate the CO2 emissions from producing the oil, that's, of course, a huge positive step. And we think that's going to be critical for oil companies going forward to be sustainable oil companies. Uh, and finally, uh, as, as an oil company, uh, you, you, you also need to uh, 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 make sure that the business that you have is able to cope with this increased volatility that we have seen. Um, and that means that your business has to be able to absorb these swings and have the ability to generate positive cash flows also at the periods of lower oil prices. You cannot have a business built on an assumed higher oil price uh, because you cannot know how low the oil price will go or how long it's going to stay there in this new reality of the greater volatility than we have had historically. If you can, if you can address those three issues there is surely a role for you to play as an oil company for many, many years, even if demand for oil as such is, we think, within a few years going to see a peak point and then start a, a structural decline. And if I can just add to your first point there, Yuan, that in this modeling that we've done, uh, you call them the, the good, the bad and the ugly. What is really interesting is that the assumptions in all of them vary quite drastically but they all result in a declining demand for oil uh, within three or four years uh, from each other. So even if you take the good case, uh, and then I guess you, you, you get in our models uh, the demand peak in 2026. But if you take the ugly case, you get it in 2024 or 2023. So, so, so no matter how drastic you are in this, uh, you still get this same kind of outcome in that oil demand is likely to start declining within uh, within a few it's years. It's not going to get back to the way it was before and, 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 and being prepared for that and having a strategy for coping with it is, is the way forward. It's been a pleasure, as always, to have this talk. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, look forward to coming back after the summer period where we will look again at uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and how it's affecting the economy and corporates. Thank you all. Thank you.